Alison. Hi, Sarah. So we are in the last leg of this presidential election. I hope I'm not on my last legs. <laughs> uh, the runoff is on Sunday yep. between the incumbent, Emmanuel Macron, and far-right leader, Marine Le Pen. Yeah, a repeat of 2017, mm. though this time Marine Le Pen is closer than ever in the polls, and it's not completely impossible that she could actually win. During the first round of campaigning, Macron was mostly very hands-off. Mm -hmm. He didn't engage with any of the other candidates. There was no debate. Yeah, last night he sat down for his first debate of the entire campaign. He faced Marine Le Pen on live TV for three hours. Bonsoir et bienvenue à tous pour ce grand débat du second tour de l'élection présidentielle. Wow. <laughs> it sounds like it was going to be so terribly exciting. Uh, anyway, this debate is a key element of the French presidential elections. I mean, for a start, it's watched by millions of people. Yeah, yeah. In 2017, has to be said, Le Pen bombed. She came across as very flustered. She mixed up her notes. She clearly wasn't very well prepared. And even she admitted afterwards that she had failed. Yeah, yeah. And so her goal last night was to not mess up, mm. which she didn't. No. On that front, she did do rather well. She mm -hmm. remained calm and composed for the most part. But both candidates were also hoping to convince undecided voters to vote for them uh, this Sunday. So the, I guess the question is, did it work? Yeah, so Le Pen definitely worked on showing the personality differences between mm. the two of them. So she's been putting herself forward as the leader of a rehabilitated far right, a softer far mm. right, as it were, who, who understands the problems of regular citizens. This pitted against Macron, who is criticized for being too arrogant, above the fray, not in, involved in, in people's lives. Le Pen brought up several times her meeting with people on the ground and, and her understanding of people's problems. Je suis obligé là encore d'être le porte-parole des Français. Once again, I'm obliged to be the spokesperson for the French people, she said, very early on in the debate. Implying, of course, that Macron is not like that, not, mm -hmm. not speaking out for the people, that he's rather out of touch. Yeah, yeah. So speaking about understaffed hospitals, for example, Le Pen brought up her meetings with nurses. Tous les infirmières que j'ai rencontrées, j'en ai rencontré des dizaines et partout. I've met dozens of nurses, she said, and they all tell me they don't have time or the means to take care of patients and their suffering. Macron, on the other hand, focused very much on the details. This is what he loves. Mm -hmm. uh, this is his very technocratic side. And it, it really came to the fore during the debate. And therefore, that did little to, you know, dispel the image of him as being rather arrogant and above the fray, uh, with a tendency to lecture people. Yeah. Uh, so what he tried to do was to point out the differences between the two candidates to show that it does matter who becomes president in terms of what will happen to France afterwards. Very early on, he pushed Le Pen on the subject of Europe. Remember that back in 2017, she ran on a Frexit platform, the idea of pulling France out of the European Union. But this time, around, she's tempered her position. Je souhaite rester dans l'Union Européenne. Je souhaite profondément la faire modifier. I want to stay within the European Union, she said, but I want to change it profoundly to bring out a European alliance of nations because there are a lot of European policies I disagree with. Now, Macron pushed back on this. He said that her policies, written in her platform, would effectively pull France out of the EU, even if she no longer frames it that way. Il y a une différence entre vous et moi. 
There's a difference between you and I, he said, talking about her intention to leave the European energy market, which he called a big mistake because we're all interconnected, as he said. And then he went after Le Pen uh, based on what he sees as one of her main weaknesses. In other words, her party's ties to Russia. Yeah. Now, he brought up the issue of a loan that the national rally took from a Russian bank back in 2014 to finance Le Pen's campaign during the regional elections. The party is still paying back the nine and a half million euros and Macron said that this means the candidate wouldn't be independent. Vous ne parlez pas à d'autres dirigeants, vous parlez à votre banquier quand vous parlez de la Russie. C'est ça le problème, Madame Le Pen. When you talk about Russia, you're not talking to leaders, you're talking to your banker throughout Macron. Yeah, one of the strongest punchlines of this debate. Vous n'êtes pas dans une situation de puissance à puissance. You're not in an equal power relationship, he hammered. You cannot defend France's interests because your interests are linked to people close to the Russian powers. Yeah, yeah. Le Pen contested this claim. She said that her loan from the Russian bank was made because no French bank would give her a loan and that she's paying it off as any other loan. We are a poor party, she said, so it's taking a while. Je suis une femme absolument et totalement libre et que je défends parce que je suis une patriote et que je l'ai démontré toute ma vie. La France et les Français. I'm an absolutely and totally free woman, mm. she insisted there. Very strong, clearly upset. And I defend as a patriot France and the French people. But we had to wait until much later in the debate, Sarah, for Le Pen's pet subjects to come up. And that's when she really got going, mm. showing her true colours, perhaps, on the issues of security, immigration and especially Islam. And that's when things got heated. On est confronté à une vraie barbarie, on est confronté à un vrai ensauvagement. We confronted with real barbary, a real ensauvagement, a descent into savagery, she says here. It's an intense word. It is, isn't it? Uh, implying that people are turning into wild animals. Mm. Everywhere I go, people say they can't stand it, she says. We need firm solutions. Now, the moderators asked each candidate outright if they would ban Muslim headscarves in public. This is something Le Pen has promised to do if she's elected. Mm. She reiterated this promise, bringing up the issue of radical Islamism and terrorism, which Macron jumped on. He pointed out that she's lumping everything together. Une question sur le voile. Vous êtes passé au terrorisme pour revenir à l'islamisme et pour aller aux étrangers. You go from the veil to terrorism to Islamism and foreigners. You're mixing everything up, he said. Laïcité, secularism, is not a fight against a religion. And if you ban the veil and religious symbols in public, you will create a civil war. Vous allez créer la guerre civile si vous faites ça. Je vous le dis en toute sincérité. Parce que ça veut dire que vous vous attaquez de... C'est très grave ce que vous dites là, C'est très grave. Civil war. Yeah. Uh, yeah, when he said that, Le Pen's eyes really widened. Mm -hmm. Because you, this is the kind of language that the far right has used in the past, hasn't it? Talking yeah. about the clash of civilizations. And now Macron is throwing her own language back at her. Yeah, yeah. And she responded, be careful what you're saying there, Mr. Macron. This is serious. He agreed. Yes, banning the veil is quite serious. It would actually make France the first country in the world to ban religious symbols in public and would push millions of French people off the streets because of their religion. But Le Pen insisted this is necessary to fight against extremism. Parce que vous ne pouvez pas expliquer qu'une loi qui interdit le voile dans l'espace public est une loi contre l'islamisme radical. Eh bien, si. You can't tell me that banning veils in the streets is a law against radical Islamism, said Macron. Well, yes it is, says Le Pen.
So it's hard to tell if there is a winner or a loser uh, coming out of this debate, but it did lay out quite clearly the differences between the two candidates and it showed this anti-Islam and anti-immigration stance is still very much core to Le Pen's ideology. Yeah, this, despite her attempt to soften her image, it's all still there mm. in terms of whether or not this debate made a difference for voters. Well, we'll see. Initial polls suggest not. The France Insoumise, France Unbowed Party, whose candidate Jean-Luc Mélenchon got 22% of the first round vote, whose votes could be key to this second round, said that the debate was a waste of time. We'll talk about their voters later in the show. So thinking about this election, Sarah, if Le Pen wins, uh, it would mark a sea change, wouldn't it, on many sure, levels? Sure, sure. Not the least of which, right, it would be that France elects its first female president. Hmm. Now going back in history, nearly 100 years after the first woman was elected to any office in France. So this was on May 3rd, 1925, 97 years ago, Josephine Pancalet was elected to the city council in Douarnenez in Brittany. At the time, women weren't even allowed to vote. Uh, that didn't happen until, well, nearly 20 years later mm -hmm. in 1944. Yeah, yeah. And that actually turned out to be a problem for Pancalet, who mm. didn't end up sitting on the council for very long for that reason. Now, she was from the town, from a fishing family. She moved to Paris where she married and had kids, but she became a war widow um, after World War One and returned home, started working in a sardine factory. And there she got involved in a strike action, 1924, when 3,000 workers, two-thirds of whom were women, blocked the plant and other fish processing plants for six weeks to get higher salaries. Now, Bonquelle's participation got her noticed by the local mayor, Daniel Leflanchec of the Communist Workers' Party. He he was running for re-election in May of 1925 and was looking for women to put on his list. At the time, the Soviet Union's Communist Party had called on parties all around the world to give women rights, mm -hmm. and they were asking uh, parties to present candidates. Yeah, yeah. So the French Communists did so. And even if the legality of Pancalet's candidacy in France was a bit dubious, she was in fourth position on the list. About a dozen other women were candidates also, mostly in the Paris area. And Pancalet was elected. She became mm -hmm. the first woman to be elected to public office in France. And she took office two weeks later on May 17th. And she held that position for six months. She worked on the education and hygiene committees. Hmm. So she did some stuff, yeah. but as you said, it didn't last. Nope, nope. The prefecture and then the Council of State got involved. They struck down her election. They determined that women weren't allowed to vote, so they couldn't serve in any body that does vote, hmm. like a city council. Pancale left politics and faded into obscurity until she was rediscovered recently as historians started digging into worker history. Her hometown of Douananez named a street after her in 2012. So back 
to today's politics. Besides Le Pen and Macron, there's a third important figure. That's Jean-Luc Mélenchon, head of the far-left France unbowed party, the France Insoumise. Yeah, the France's third man, mm -hmm. he likes to call himself. Mélenchon got 22% in the first round, and he's therefore been called a kingmaker in these elections because yeah. the question is, where will those votes now end up? For example, he got a majority of the 18 to 24-year-old age group. Yeah, yeah. After the first round, Mélenchon called for a barrage, a dam against Le Pen, though he stopped short of actually endorsing Macron. Yeah, he refused to pronounce even the president's name. Afterwards, party members held a vote about what to do, and they decided, well, a third of them would vote for Macron, and two-thirds would not cast a ballot at all. Yeah, yeah. In some towns, though, traditionally leftist enclaves, Mélenchon came in first, like in Gentilly, just south of Paris. Mélenchon came in with 44% of the vote. And our colleague Sylvie Coffey met some young people there, like this woman, who was disappointed that Mélenchon didn't make it to the second round. Trop, trop, trop déçu. I'm very, very disappointed, she said. All young people are. Most of us voted for Mélenchon. Yeah, he's a loud mouth, but we're interested in change and discovering something else. Another five years of Macron? No way. It's a heavy load to bear. So it doesn't sound like she will be voting for Macron in the second round. <laughs> no, no, probably not. Likely one of the many abstainers. But Adama, who drives a motorcycle for a delivery service, sees things differently. He's angry at the choice he has to make in the second round between Macron and Le Pen. But for him, the solution is more people voting, not fewer. C'est vrai qu'on a le choix entre la peste et le choléra. We have the choice between the plague and cholera, he says. But then again, we have only ourselves to blame. We should have mobilized more people to get out to vote. And plenty didn't, mm -hmm. right? 26% of voters abstained in the first round. That was a bit lower than initially predicted, but it was still the highest level for the last few presidential elections in yeah, France. Yeah, and the second round results will probably hinge on whether those abstainers decide to actually come out for the second round. Laurence Théo spoke to some of these people, like Chantal in Paris, who's disillusioned with the political system and politicians. She didn't vote in the first round and is unlikely to do so in round two. They are in their own world, and in this world that is in fact a world of technocrats. They're in their own world, she says, a world of technocrats and not based in reality. They should go down to the street sometime and find out the cost of a metro ticket. This time, I will not go out to vote. So, a very categorical decision, mm -hmm. but it sounds like she's not someone used to abstaining. Yeah, yeah, whereas Mehdi, who works odd jobs in the construction sector in a suburb of the city of Rouen in northern France, says he's never voted, and he blames politicians and local leaders for not encouraging young people like him to do so. We don't have leaders or people who come and encourage us to vote, he says. If someone came to organize us to explain how to get electoral cards, encourage us to vote, why, we'd do it, but there's no one. Even worse, he says, I have the impression it's done on purpose so that we don't get interested in politics and don't have a say in how things are done. Now, the candidates are unlikely at this point to be able to convince someone like him to come out and vote. Yeah. We're, we're too close to the to the runoff. Um, so this is clearly, a, you know, a longer term problem. Yeah, yeah. And then, of course, you have those who want to scramble the system, which is mm. already in tatters. The traditional left and right parties have all but disappeared in France after this election cycle. Back in Gentilly, a young woman who voted for Mélenchon says she will vote for Le Pen just to mess with Macron, whom she believes will win anyway. Je vais voter Marine Le Pen. 
Pour la simple et bonne raison que j'avais pas envie que Macron repasse. I will vote for Marine Le Pen for the simple reason that I don't want Macron to get re-elected, she says. I want to make it difficult for him, though I know he'll win. He's the president of the rich. And what can we do in the face of the rich? Nothing. Hmm, you can hear her frustration. Yeah. Young people are particularly upset. And according to some polls, more than 40% of people aged 18 to 24 didn't go out to vote in the yeah. first round. Yeah. That was 10% more than in 2017. So there's clearly an increasing demobilization of the youth. Yeah, yeah. And it seems as though they're, they're giving up on the system. This week, students in Paris have occupied university buildings to express anger at the choice of the second round. Their signs saying neither Le Pen nor Macron. Salomé, a second year history student at the Sorbonne, told Laurence Théo that the choice between the two candidates is impossible. C'est vrai, en fait, on est dans un état de détresse parce qu'on se demande ce qu'on va faire. We are in a state of distress because we're wondering what to do, she says. The choice between Macron, who's been around for five years, we've seen his repression of social movements, but we especially don't want Le Pen and her fully racist government, who's showing a willingness to literally destroy fundamental rights. So she's referring there to comments made by Le Pen and her supporters about bypassing the legislative process mm -hmm. if she wins, but then they don't have a parliamentary majority Uh, as a way of getting their agenda passed, and even if that means changing the constitution. Yeah, yeah. Luca, who's studying political science at Sciences Po, says that the student movement is against both candidates, neither nor, but the two are really not on the same level. I don't think that students are putting Macron and Le Pen in the same bag, he says. They have different demands, different issues. Macron is in charge, he needs to react, and he doesn't make concessions. On the other hand, Marine Le Pen and then he trails off there. I understand why you see it as students equating the two, but I don't think that's what they're doing. He admits that he will vote on Sunday, reluctantly for Macron, even if the president has ignored many issues that are close to his heart, like the climate, social inequalities. So ultimately, these students are angry at a, a system yeah. that they feel no longer represents them and the, that their voices are just not coming through. Pretty much, yeah. Zélie, another student, says that they've had enough. Nous, là, on a 20 ans. On avait 15 ans en 2017. On aura 25 ans en 2027. Et en fait, on est déjà fatigué. We're 20 years old. We were 15 in 2017. And the last election will be 25 in 2027. We're tired of this political climate that's been going on for years and is entrenched. Young people are tired, she says, and at the same time, we're revolted. Mm, sounds like a call to arms. Mm -hmm. Interestingly, Mélenchon, who has a big share of the youth vote, well, his latest move is to encourage his voters to turn out for the legislative elections, those parliamentary elections in June, and vote him in as prime minister. Yeah. <laughs> so that whoever is president will then have a, a major counterweight. Yeah, and many Mélenchon voters have justified not voting in round two for this very reason. They say that... It It doesn't matter they don't have to block Marine Le Pen because even if she does win, they believe that she will not have a majority in parliament and then won't be able to get anything done. But hmm, that remains to be seen. Yeah, it's a huge question, isn't it, Sarah? Yeah. When we're back in two weeks' time, we'll know what the result of all of this is. <laughs> And that means it's the end of Spotlight on France. This episode was mixed by Cécile Pompiani. Spotlight on France is a production of the English service of Radio France International. If you've got any questions or comments, send us an email at spotlight.france at rfi.fr. Or find us on Instagram. We're Spotlight on France. You can find previous episodes at rfienglish.com or wherever you get your podcasts. 
and we'll be back on Thursday, May the 5th. Bye for now. Bye, Alison. Bye.